0: We'll start in verse uh, 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemy against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the gods of his father nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a god of fortresses, and a god which his father did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At the time of the end of the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his land, Emon, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also, the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great glory or great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tent of his palace between the seas and the glorious. Holy Mountains. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for your word. And I just ask that this morning you open our eyes and our ears, Lord God. You uh, give us an alert mind and uh, a willing heart to receive your word this morning, Lord God. I pray that you continue to anoint Jackie as he teaches us this morning, Lord God, and just be with us all as uh, we hear your word this morning and that we. we use it when we leave these doors, Lord God. Let us love like you love and help us to see like you see, Lord God, and be with us. Not just today, but throughout the week, Lord God, and let us uh, move in a mighty way, Lord. I just pray that you uh, just uh, use us all and uh, go out and spread the word in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Man, can you believe it? We're almost done with Daniel. <clears throat> One more week. Next week we'll finish it up. As we look at uh, at what we have laid out before us this morning. You remember the last couple of weeks we've been going through and every verse I can read a history book next to the prophecy that God gave from Daniel. I can tell you what's going on with the Seleucids, what's going on with the Ptolemies, the different battles that they had what happened with Antiochus, Epiphanes, all that stuff, all the way through the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11. Then Daniel chapter 11 goes outside of history. Oh, there's plenty of commentators who say, well, this must be past, we just don't know how it was fulfilled. But see, when I hear prophecy that I don't know how it's fulfilled, I assume it's not done yet. You guys remember how simple it was, working our way through the history might have been boring, but it was easy, right? You could see all the different things that were going on. How God was moving. Now here's I'm, my point as we come to this next section of Daniel 11 and 12. Remember, all of this is his last vision. This Daniel's last vision. 10, 11, 12. The, the last vision that he had is laid out. We're working our way through it. And when we get to verse 36 of chapter 11, we go future. And just the same way you saw how it followed right along, word for word, historically, with what occurred, then the same thing is expected on the rest. There's no reason to think that these things won't happen just as Scripture lays out for us. And really, there's at least three reasons we see these things as yet future. First, all of that. That we just talked about, that it was so perfectly illustrated in history till verse thirty-five. Also, because this next section is going to be quoted by Jesus, well, at least a couple of times, depending on on how your view of uh, his authorship of the book of Revelation is. Uh, but the the unveiling of Jesus Christ, Book of Revelation, is going to quote this. Uh, so we're going to see these things quoted about a final world leader that came after Jesus. A world leader that Jesus Christ told us about. Remember in in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, there's there's an abomination of desolation coming again, right? That's what he said in Matthew 24. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. Let's look at that for a minute. Daniel 11, verse 40, the first uh, six words, at the time of the end. Do you see it? At the time of the end the end of days Daniel 11 verse 40 is telling us that the things that are happening as we continue to work our way through are a future time the closing of human history if you will is taking place in Daniel 11:40 in Daniel 12 verse 1 it says and at that time at that time what time well the same time we were talking about in 11:40 the end of days 12.1, what will happen? Michael will stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even until that time. And at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who is found, what's it say? Written in the book. Man, that's a relatively scary phrase in case you didn't know that. Everyone who's written in the book. Paul says it like this. Don't you know all of Israel is going to be saved? But prior to that, what did he say? Not everyone who calls himself Israel is Israel. Jesus said, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Everyone whose name is written in the book. That's what Daniel's talking about. He's talking about the nation of Israel here. He's talking about a time of trouble that has never been before that nobody has ever seen anything like it, but everyone whose name is found written in the book, they're going to be saved. Matthew 24, verse 21, Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. Doesn't that sound like what Daniel just said? Isn't Jesus quoting the same thing? He says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days are short. How long are those days? As we study Daniel chapter 9, you remember the Bible says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and your nation. 69 of those weeks are fulfilled. That leaves one, seven left. What do we call that final seven? Tribulation period. Right. What kicks off that seven? According to Daniel chapter 9, the kickoff of the 70th week is a peace treaty from a world leader with the nation of Israel for seven years. Gives them peace. Now, I'm guessing, it's not, it's not something I can absolutely point to in Scripture, but you spend time going over to Israel and talking to to the folks in israel and you ask them if jesus isn't your messiah how are you going to recognize him when he comes and they say two things he'll bring peace and he'll build the temple now the bible says that these things are going to happen the city is going to be trampled until the time of the gentiles is finished you guys remember that phrase the time of the Gentiles, I believe, started in 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar took the Temple Mount and crushed it. The children of Israel came back and rebuilt a, 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 a temple. Later on, they rebuilt the temple, but you know what? The people we, wept over it. It was, it was paled in comparison to Solomon's temple. But you know, then remember we had the North and the South kings coming through, beating them up all the time. Then you had Antiochus mess it all up. Then you have Herod the Great come and spend... 49 years rebuilding it. He gets it finished in 69 or 64 AD. Six years later, Rome destroys it and the nation of Israel ceases to exist. What is that all? The time of the Gentiles. 1948, Israel gets their nation back, but they don't have Jerusalem. That doesn't occur until 1964? Is it 64, 69, 67, Six Day War? So they come in, they get Jerusalem. Uh, ben Gurion goes up on the on the on the uh, temple mount and he raises the Israeli flag and the people go crazy. We got it. That would be the end of the time of the Gentiles. Israel could build her temple, but then Ben Gurion brought the flag down, and he said, "In order to have peace, we'll let the Muslims keep it." Yeah. And it's still that way today. Still that way today. It was stupid. Well. I think it was God's plan, but here we go. We got so the time of the Gentiles. When you go to Israel, the Temple Mount, the temple's not there still today, right? Right? No temple. What's up there? Dome of the Rock, the third most holy site in Islam. You can't just take that down. You well, you can try, but it'd be bad. (laughs) Them people over there don't play. They don't just throw rocks, man. (laughs) They throw all kind of stuff. So so here we got this temple mountain, we got the the dome of the rock on there, but you know that Ezekiel says, when he tells, the Lord says to Ezekiel, when he tells him to measure the temple, the new temple that's going to come, when he says to measure the temple, he says, you know what, don't measure the outer court, because we gave that to the Gentiles. Just measure the, the inner court. The Bible tells us that you used to be able to stand in the door of the tabernacle of the temple, And look out the eastern gate. What looks up the Mount of Olives. That looks at the road that Jesus walked down on Palm Sunday. And there was a straight line through the Golden Gate. To the door of the temple. To the Holy of Holies. Today. When we go up to the Temple Mountain. In a couple of months. We're going to walk over to a place called the Dome of the Spirit. Nobody cares about that. Everybody's over there at the Dome of the Rock. They don't bother with us Christians. We go over, we find this little dome. The Muslims don't even know why they called it the Dome of the Spirit. But it's bedrock on the temple floor. And most people believe that's where the Holy of Holies was. And if you stand there and look, you're in a straight line with the Eastern Gate, with the Mount of Olives. See, one day there's going to be a guy come and promise peace according to Daniel chapter 9. And he'll give them the opportunity to build their temple next to the Dome of the Rock. And there'll be peace for a time. And the nation of Israel, think how stoked they're going to be when somebody from the world takes their side for a change. You pay attention to the news? When's the last time you see people stand up for Israel? woo go Israel! Yeah, I know. You want to sit in on the UN? That's the only place I know of. A UN, bad things can happen, Israel does something, and the whole UN condemns Israel. Now, I'm not saying Israel's perfect and they're always right. I know better. They're not. They're not always right, but neither are they always wrong. Nonetheless, this guy's going to come. He's going to back them. He's going to make peace. All the people around him aren't going to want to kill him anymore and he's going to let them build the temple. And Israel is going to look at him and say, Messiah. And when that happens, There's seven years left. The beginning of the tribulation period starts. That's what Daniel 9 says. Daniel 9 says when the Antichrist makes a peace treaty for seven years. Start your clock. And that's exactly what Daniel 11 is talking about. Let's take a look at it, guys. Let's take a look. It says Daniel 11, verse 36. He's going to tell us the character about this coming king. Check it out. It says, now then the king shall do according to his own will. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper until wrath, uh, until the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. God said 70 weeks are, what's the next word? Determined for your people. Those 70 weeks are going to happen. Just like God said they were going to happen. And so what do we see? We see his purpose. What's his purpose? He's going to do whatever he wants to do. Right? He's going to do as, as whatever he wills. It's interesting to me that, that uh, when you consider um, the church of, of Satan, well, they only have one law, one rule. They don't have ten commandments. You know what the one rule is? Do what you will shall be the whole of the law. Do what you will. Do whatever you want. That's going to be the thing that marks this this world leader. He's not going to have a council that controls him. He's not anybody's puppet. Well, at least not any earthly person's puppet. Nobody's pulling his strings. He's going to do whatever he wants. Now hold on to that thought. Think about Revelation chapter 13 verse 2. We're talking about the beast. It says Revelation 13 2. This same world leader. What's it say about him? Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard its feet like the feet of a bear its mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him power his throne and great authority It's interesting because we see all the same beast described for us in Daniel uh, chapter 7 and 8, the, the, the beast laid out for us, we see this following the same example in Revelation chapter 13. We're talking about that final example of world rebellion. Remember what we said about the statue. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a statue? Head of gold, chest silver, bronze, iron, feet of clay. Everybody with me? What do we know about all that? The world's kingdoms are what? Passing to the next one. And the next one. And the next one. They're all standing on feet of clay. No worldly kingdom is going to stand until the king of kings and the lord of lords comes and sets up his kingdom. Right? The, the, the book of Daniel also describes those kingdoms as beasts. Ravenous beasts. So all they, all, what does man want to do? What's the desire of man's heart? Evil continually. Every time I turn on the news, I can't believe what man does to man. And the answer is not more legislation. The answer is a change of heart. Where's that change of heart come? When Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior, He changes our heart. Now we don't want that stuff no more. Now we don't want we want to follow Him. We want to be an example of who Jesus Christ is. So who gives Him His power? Remember, I told you the, the satanic Bible, the one rule do what you will shall be the whole of the law. Who gives the Antichrist his power? According to Revelation chapter thirteen? The dragon. Satan. The devil. Revelation 12 tells us that's who the dragon is. So he gives him power. Is it a wonder that he acts like the devil? Shouldn't be surprising, right? Well, look in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us the coming of the lawless one. That's that's another title for the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of, what's it say? Satan. Satan. With all power, signs, and lying. Wonder so, so when we think his purpose, what's his purpose? To do whatever he wants. To do whatever he will. That's what, how did Satan fall? I will lift my throne above the Most High. What is his plan? To do whatever he wants. So we see that's his purpose. His purpose is to follow in the footsteps. That's his, the Antichrist. His character. To follow in the footsteps of the devil. Then we see his pride. Look at the next phrase. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. So he's going to exalt himself. Now look, look, it's not just Yahweh we're talking about here. In fact, the word here in Hebrew is the word Elohim. It could be for any god. He's going to exalt himself above every possible idea of religion that there is. He's going to put himself beyond all of that. He's going to lift himself higher than it all. Everything else is below that. It is below him. Don't you know? You spend time in history. World leaders know that I can control the masses if I can control the religion. If I can make them worship a certain way, do certain things. Rome did it. Babylon did it. You remember all the people bowing down before the altar of Nebuchadnezzar, before the statue? Rome, pinch of incense, swear your allegiance to Caesar, declare that Caesar is your God and you're a good citizen of Rome. Those same things are still going on today. Those same attitudes. we're going to see about this world leader, he's got a pride where he exalts himself above it all, above every God, speaking blasphemy against the God of gods. Now that is Yahweh. Blasphemy against the God of gods. Well, think about our culture. Think about how it looks. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, because although they knew God, Romans 1 doesn't say people don't know God. Nobody goes to hell because they don't know God. People go to hell because they don't worship or serve the God they know. Not because they don't know Him. Look what it says. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Birds... Four-footed animals and creeping things. What do they do? They take the glory of the, this huge transcendent God and they make Him something that we can use to control people. That we can use to make people uh, obey or fall in line with the state. And so it says, "This is what this is what people do. This is what we see our culture do." Now look at Daniel chapter seven twenty five, and we look at what the Antichrist is going to do. It says, "He will speak pompous words against the Most High. He will persecute the saints of the Most High. He shall intend to change times and law, and the saints will be given into his hand for time, times, and a half a time, three and a half." Years, His pride, he will speak pompous things against the Most High. This is going to be part of the character of this world leader that we're yet looking at. The, the progression of mankind getting worse and worse and worse. When you look at the, the, the prophecies of Daniel, speaking of the kingdoms of mankind as beasts, when they get to the last beast, he can't even name it. The last beast, God just says, is a Beast. More terrible than every beast who came before. Because that's the progression of the fall of mankind. As as mankind gets further and further away from God, what does he become more and more like? And so more and more beast-like, more and more beast-like, until we've come to this guy, this world leader, this Antichrist. And when we talk about Antichrist, guys, don't see it as the opposite of Christ. Anti is pseudo. so It means in place of Christ. He's the guy the world will receive as Messiah. When the world rejected Jesus Christ. This is the one that the the world will receive. Let's look at his prosperity. Look at his prosperity. The verse goes on. And he shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished. Now what is that final seven year period of time called? In Revelation chapter 6, we look at the beginning of the opening Of the seven seals. And you have the four horsemen. Of the apocalypse in the beginning. The four horsemen of the apocalypse opened up. We go through the seals. And we come down to a place where it says. All of men. Are hiding themselves beneath rocks and in caves. Saying save us from the wrath. Of the lamb. The bible says he's going to prosper until the. Wrath. Is accomplished. It's a particular wrath. It is the outpouring of the wrath of God. On a Christ rejecting world. And so it says. He's going to prosper. He's going to prosper. Authority has been given to him. The word declares. For what has been determined. Shall be done. So he's going to dominate the world scene. Until God ends him. He's going to dominate. He's going to fulfill those purposes. Next, we look at his position. Look at verse thirty-seven. It says, "He shall neither, or shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all." So he's going to exalt himself above every. God. Not the God of his fathers. It doesn't matter what country he comes from, what nation he comes from. All we know is he's not going to honor the God of that nation or the God of his fathers before him. Whatever they worshipped, whatever their thing was, he's, he's opposed. He is the opposite. And we'll see why, I think, in just a moment. He's going to begin, I think, with total atheism that, that every other God is false. But it's going to lead him to the proclamation that he's God. Just like in the days of old. Just like the old kings would do before him. It also says that he is going to um, not regard the desire of women. Oh, what's that all about? Some people kind of get off of, uh, on a tangent. The desire of women, who, who's writing this book? Daniel, who's he writing to? Jews. It's a Jewish book written to Jews. What was the desire of women? that they would give birth to Messiah. That's what the desire of women was. It has nothing to do with his sexuality one way or tother. It means he he's not going to care about Messiah. He's not going to care about Jesus Christ, not going to care about the gods that went before him. He's not going to care about the gods that other people have. He's going to be totally separate from all of those. From all those Revelation chapter 13 verse 5 and 6 says, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Now, when's the last time you heard that happen? I mean, usually somebody's dead and gone, people don't care much, right? Curse those guys who died. Who cares about them? Unless it's a little different. Because when we come to the book of Revelation, we see the unveiling of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. We see the church prominent in chapter 2 and 3. And then chapter 4 begins with this phrase. God speaking to John says, come up here. And in chapter 4 and 5, you see the church in heaven. That's what the rapture is. The word rapture doesn't happen in the Bible, by the way. You know what the word is? Violent snatching away. So you can call it that if you want, but... I don't know if it has, rolls off the tongue quite the same way. The violent snatching away of the church. woohoo! But the idea, the rapture, taught in Scripture, is that the church has been paid, Jesus Christ paid for what? For us. He saves us from what? We say a lot of things. We say He saves us from our sins. He, say, he saves us. Jesus Christ saves us from the wrath of God. Because apart from Jesus Christ, we're children of wrath. Deserving judgment from a holy God. But Jesus Christ bore that wrath. So, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians tells us that we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. If that last seven year period of time is the wrath of God... We are not appointed for the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ. Then the church, the bride, goes home. Goes home. The Bible says then God will descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air together with him. And so we shall always be. If Daniel 11, 1 through 35, happened exactly like God said, doesn't that mean the rest of it will too? Just like God said? Just exactly how God put out. So this guy, he's going to curse those who live in heaven. Exactly why or how? I'm not sure. But the other thing I know, not only that, Look nor will he regard any God, for he will exalt himself above them all. What's he ultimately going to do? I'm God. I'm God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, <clears throat> speaking of the lawless one, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Isn't that what it just said? Isn't that what Daniel just said? He's going to oppose him, God, he's going to exalt himself above every God, but what did Paul go on to say? Paul went on to say... <clears throat> Uh, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We just read last time about Daniel the prophet. He told us an abomination of desolation. Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple and set up an idol, and he said, this is God, not your God. Paul says the final world leader is going to do that from Jerusalem. He's going to walk into a temple that doesn't exist yet. He's going to stand in the temple and he's going to say, I'm God. And we know from scripture when that is. Three and a half years after the peace treaty. Three and a half years of relative peace and war. We'll see see as we look at it a little bit deeper in the next couple of verses. And then... He's going to call himself God. He's going to exalt himself. What did Jesus tell the Jews to do then? Get out. Get out of the city. Don't grab a coat. Don't grab your shoes. Get out. Just go. Flee. Run. Zechariah has a prophecy that talks about two-thirds of the nation of Israel being killed. And one-third, a remnant, being saved. That sounds like a pretty... Crazy period of time, right? A time of trouble like no other time of trouble before. Just like like what the Bible declares it to be. So we see he's going to move into self-worship. This is his position. He's going to make himself to be his God. Look at his power, verse 38. His power, but in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. So what's his power? So, so let me back up. I was just at the midway point. How are we going to know the midway point is when Antichrist says, I'm God. But in the beginning, he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. He's going to start building the temple. And he's going to worship a God of fortresses. What's that mean? It means he serves the God of war. How is he going to have peace? by superior firepower. Isn't that a good way to have peace? Well, it's been the motto of the United States for a while. He's going to be really focused on his military budget. He's going to, in fact, give to his military budget all kinds of gold and silver and jewels. Who has the biggest military budget in the world right now? U.S.A. It's not even close. It is not even close. This guy is going to be a worshiper of military might. A god of fortresses. That's going to be his goal. He wants to make sure he's powerful. And it's not, but listen, it's not a god that his fathers knew. Just think about that. I just said, the United States has the biggest military budget. So before you go thinking, well then the Antichrist got to come from the United States... It says he's worshiping a god his fathers never knew. So he's coming out of some place that's not been known as a land of war. But his attitude is going to be an attitude of a warrior, commander in chief. Man, he's going to come out to do battle. He'll regard no other god but war. And that's how he's going to establish peace. People are going to argue about, no, I don't want to have peace with Israel. But they're not going to want to stand up to him. They're not going to want to do battle. And that's how he's going to establish peace. Look at his plans in verse 39. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. What's he going to do? Revelation chapter 1. The very first seal is the seal of the horse. The horse coming out is a guy promising peace and bringing war. Second horse of the apocalypse, war. Guy comes out on a white horse. He's, he's got a bow. Promising peace. Some people think that that's a, a, a picture of the return of Christ. I, I, I think they're crazy. He comes back and immediately follows him as What? War. Immediately following him is what? Pestilence. Immediately following him is what? Death. That what follows Jesus Christ when his return? Because when I look at it, it's a little different than that. Death happens in the beginning. And then there's life. So he comes promising peace but bringing... War. How's he going to make war? He's going to make war everywhere he goes. Every place he turns. Wherever he can find it, he's going to make war. Revelation 13, verse 4. So they worshipped the dragon, who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast and said, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who's he going to fight? The strongest fortresses. Well, if that was today, who would that be? Well, we got to be in that list somewhere, Right? We've got to be in that list somewhere. He's going to make war. He's going to have military conquest. But not only that, look what else it says. He's also going to have political rewards for those who side with him. In other words, you side with him, you don't have to fight him, and he, he's going to take good care of you if you just take his side. Look, it says, He shall acknowledge and advance its glory. He will cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. So people who vow allegiance to the Antichrist as their king are going to be rewarded. He's going to greatly honor them. Look, the stage is already set, folks. Nobody wants to stand with Israel, not even the U.S. The stage is already set for that that battle to turn, for someone to pop up and be able to bring peace. It's already laid out. The table is set. The pieces are moving. Life is getting dicey. It's pretty exciting times that we live in, but if God told us exactly what was going to happen in Daniel 11, 1 through thirty five, then He's not going to be wrong. Thirty six through twelve three, He's not going to be wrong. Exactly what He says is what's going to take place. Next, from verse forty to verse forty five, we move from the character of the king. To the conquest of the king. Look what's going to happen. It says and at the time of the end, at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. Now we've been doing a lot of stuff with the king of the south and the king of the north, right? So we know this is Syria and Egypt. Syria and Egypt. The same battles that we've been reading about all the way through chapter 11. If, we're, if, if in the beginning of chapter 11 the king of the north was Syria and the king of the south was Egypt, Then when we get to the end of chapter 11, it does not become Russia and something else. You guys with me? Yeah, he don't know. The guy who's writing, he's telling us the king of the north, it didn't change. He's still the king of the north. King of the south, still the king of the south. What's going on? The king of the north, king of the south, Syria and Egypt, traditional enemies of Israel. You come up with a peace treaty and you say, we're going to have peace and we're going to build the temple. And the king of the north and the king of the south at some point are going to say no. And they're going to move against against the Antichrist. Look what it says about him, this conquest. The king of the north will come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter the, the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. So what's going to happen? Antichrist is going to take care of business. He'll beat them and establish that peace treaty. He's talking to Israel. We're in the first three and a half years again. And then look at verse 41, his presence. And he shall also enter into the glorious land. And many countries will be overthrown, but, they, but these shall escape his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. So what happens is, he's, he, he is somewhere, he sets up his world uh, capital, whatever. Maybe it's in Babylon, maybe it's just wherever, wherever he's at. But at this point, after he does battle with the king of the north and the king of the south, Antichrist says, You know what? I'm going to put my throne, I'm going to put my center of power in Jerusalem. So he moves into a glorious land. And he conquers all those who want to say anything different about it. Now we're right at the midway point. We know when he goes into Jerusalem to set up his throne, what's he going to declare himself to be? I'm God. And then all of a sudden, all the Jews are going to say, Whoa, 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 whoa. And they'll be jumping ship, running out. There'll be battles and fights and, and wars. And he'll slaughter everybody except for these three people he names. What did he name? He names Edom, Moab, and Ammon. All of those are wrapped up in the same country today. Jordan. Jordan has become the Switzerland of the Middle East. What do I mean? Every time somebody wants to get in a mix, Jordan says... Yeah, we'll sit this one out. And so, it looks like they're going to do it again. There'll be a ruckus down there, but Jordan's going to sit it out. So they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. They're going to survive. They're not going to be taken into the battle <coughs> against, um, against the, the Antichrist. Then in verse 42, he will stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to take care of Syria, and he's going to take care of Egypt. He's going to wipe those two places out. He's going to take them off the map. And ultimately, this is how he's going to fund his campaign. This is how he's going to fund his war machine. What's everywhere down there? And there's oil all over the place. But then I thought it was interesting, not just oil. it, It mentions specifically, in verse 43, He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. And you think, Egypt, you don't think of a lot of precious things. But wasn't that long ago. I mean, I was young. Maybe it was that long ago. There was this thing that toured around the world. And everybody who wanted to see it paid 25 bucks to see it. It was this little king out of Egypt. And Egypt sent around... Uh, replicas of what they found not everything they found but they sent around replicas of what they found the 24 karat gold headpieces the 24 karat gold caskets and the and just the the opulent wealth that was buried with king tutankhamun you remember that where's all that stuff now hmm Still in Egypt, right? Yeah. And I think everybody knows. Yep, that stuff's still in Egypt. I could use a little bit of gold and they're not that tough. They rise up against the Antichrist, he's going to go and get control of all that. Whatever they got, whatever wealth under the ground, whatever wealth is in the pyramids, whatever stuff he can dig up, he's going to have a power over the treasuries of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt also, the Libyans and the Ethiopians are going to follow at his heel. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. The Ethiopians and the Libyans nipping at his heel, or the Ethiopians and the Libyans jumping on board and saying, yeah, we don't want to fight you. We'll just, we'll just come alongside. Doesn't make any difference. Either way, the result is the same. <clears throat> Egypt is conquered, and these things are are all handled. Now, we find ourselves... Moving forward from the three and a half year point, it says, But news from the east and the north will trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. East and the north. The book of Revelation tells us that the kings of the east are going to, are going to some way be associated with a 200 million man army. Whether that's China, you know, mostly that's speculation as we, as we take a look at it. But here it says, kings of the east and the north. In Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, it seems to indicate that there's going to be a battle dealing with Gog and Magog, Meshach and Tubal, and most of the ancient names of those countries bring us around the area of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Russia. So something's going to go on with these guys, going to bring the Antichrist back. He's going to be out dealing with uh, basically all these, these little guys. And the big guys are going to start rebelling against him. Now, don't we see this often in history? Like the guy on top doesn't always stay on top, right? Does he? But pretty soon people are fighting. You know, I think you, I think we'll, we'll take over now. Thanks very much. You know, and, and you have kingdom from kingdom from kingdom. The same thing is starting to unravel in Antichrist's kingdom. He's going to hear these guys, so he will go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. In verse 45, And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet she, he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. All of this ruckus going on, all of these battles going on, we know that final battle, God says, I'm going to put hooks in their mouths, and I'm going to draw all the great to the plains of Megiddo. In the Hebrew, the plains of Megiddo is Har, Megiddo, Or we call it what? Armageddon. Napoleon said it's a perfect battlefield. The place where the last battle must be fought. You stand up on the mountains of Megiddo when we get to Israel. And as far as you can see, just about in every direction is the plains of Megiddo. You realize, man, that's a huge place. A huge area. But it says, he will come to his end. And no one will help him. Because... How much time does he have from beginning to end? Seven years. How much time's he got? Seven years. Is it going to be eight years? What if it's nine? No, God said how many weeks are determined? Seventy weeks are determined. There's seven years left. When this kicks off, it goes seven years, that's it. He will come to his end and nobody can help him. Nobody can change it. Nobody can stop it because God has determined it. The end will come. It will happen just like the book of Revelation lays out for us. The final curtain will go up on the Antichrist. We read about it in Daniel chapter 7, verse 11. It says this, And I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain, its body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. What happens to the beast? Ah, well, what about Daniel 7, 26 He will speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, will intend to change times and law, but then the saints will be given into His hand for time, times, and a half time, but the court shall be seated, and they will take away His dominion, and consume and destroy it forever. About Second 2 Thessalonians 2.8 <clears throat> And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Or what about Revelation 19? Now I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written which no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice. And he said, To all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven... Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who received his image, these two were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed by the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. The Bible tells us there's two feasts in the end of days. The feast of the great God. Bad. Or the marriage supper of the Lamb. Good. Do you remember that the Bible tells us that a king sent out invitations to people to come to the wedding feast. But people said, I can't go. I'm too busy. I got too much stuff going on. I really don't have time for this now. So the king got frustrated and he sent more. And the scripture tells in Matthew 22, they killed those servants. So the king wiped them out and said, Go to the highways and the byways wherever you will go and invite whosoever to come. Man gets to choose what feast he is at. You get to pick. Today is the day, now is the time. The invitation has gone out. But there's only one way to come into the wedding feast. There is only one way. Remember the king was looking around and he found a man who didn't have his wedding garment on. And he said, Friend, why are you here without a wedding garment? And the guy didn't have an answer. Now before you put something weird on that idea, keep in mind when they were invited in, they walked through the door and right there at the entrance is a big box full of wedding garments. And a big sign over the door that says, Put a wedding garment on if you're going to come in. So you reach over and you put it on. And what's that wedding garment? White as snow. And you put it on. and makes you all clean and snazzy so you can go in to the wedding feast. But there's a guy in there without it. And he doesn't have an answer for why he doesn't have it. One was supplied, but he didn't take it. So the king takes him, binds him, and throws him outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's two feasts. The Bible talk about them. Everybody's going to one or the other. We get to choose. The invitations have been sent. But you remember how we started? Remember that scary little scripture I read you? Let me read just two more and we'll close out. In Revelation 20 verse 10. It says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet, little word, are That's a thousand years later. Doesn't say where the beast and the false prophet were. They're still there in the lake of fire and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then Revelation 20:15 and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anybody not found written. Anybody not found written. Invitations have gone out. Everyone's invited. You can look at the Bible and you can say, you know, I just don't believe that it's all going to happen like it says. But you've got to do battle with the th- first 35 verses and how exact they were. And realize, yeah, you know what? There is a plan for the end of days. But there is also a plan for you and I. We don't have to be appointed to wrath. That we can... Stand in Christ Jesus and have that wrath pass from us to Him. That was the symbolism that we had even as we looked at the Lord's Supper. Jesus paid it all. So all to Him I owe. We come before Him and we bow the knee, or He makes us. But the choice is still ours. What feast do you want to go to? One of them sounds good. One of them not so good. But at the end, it all comes down to this. Are you willing to do whatsoever he wills? Or is it the other way? Do what I will shall be the whole of my law. Do what I want. I will not be in submission to any other or I'll bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Today is a day, now is the time. Why not you stand with me, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the, the truth of your word, Lord, and God, for those scary events that your word talks about. Maybe we comfort ourselves with saying, I got time. I don't have to worry about that. I got time. I don't have to think about that. But every day, I get news about somebody who thought they had more time. We really don't know how much time we have. But I do know that the God of the universe has sent forth invitations to the wedding feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And all we got to do is put on a wedding garment and walk in. And how do we put on the wedding garment? We receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We bow the knee. He is my King, my God, my Lord. In order to do that, i got to repent. i got to let go of all those things I'm holding on to that I think are going to satisfy. i got to repent from my sin. Turn away from the world. And turn to Christ. And all the way through this book, we've studied the book of Daniel, the Word of God, Genesis through Revelation, is a story of God reaching out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. But he never stops reaching out his hands, he never stops the invitation. Man can choose his ultimate destination. You get to pick. But you can't be angry at God over the result. Because he told us the end from the beginning. God, we pray that by your spirit you would move in the hearts of men That you would move in the hearts of those here today. And God, we pray that by your spirit, you would bring people to the place where they will receive. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish. Have everlasting life. God, I pray that you would do a perfect work in this place as we look to you as our Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen.